Uh, I'll encourage you to grab a Bible uh, if you brought one, and you can turn to Matthew chapter 1. Uh, that's our text for this morning, verses 18 to 25. We are in week three of our Advent series. So if you've joined us for the month of December, um, we uh, have named or titled our Advent series, A Simple Christmas, just rediscovering and looking at the humble birth of Jesus, the King of the universe, and how He came and all the events surrounding it. And we've just talked about that, you know, at this time of year, we, we sometimes overcomplicate things. Uh, whether by accident or on purpose, and Christmas can just become this huge thing. And when we look at the first Christmas, the birth of Jesus, it, it was very simple. Um, we saw in week one, we looked at the genealogy leading up to Joseph, um, Jesus' uh, earthly legal father, not biological father, and we just saw that it was a mess of a family line, just like all of our family trees are. Uh, including yours. Like, if we're honest, there was just, just so much brokenness and mess, and we saw that that's why a Savior had to come, because, I mean, the human race is just stuck in cycles of sin and, and brokenness. Um, and then last week, we looked at Gabriel announcing to Mary that she would become pregnant, and we saw her response, and how does that reflect how we respond when God calls us, and just kind of this humility and acceptance, and uh, it was just uh, uh, great to see Mary's response. And then this week, what we want to do is look at Joseph's perspective to this whole story. Because, I mean, we saw how Mary responded to this unbelievable news, but I'm, I'm, I was always curious, well, how did Joseph respond? And I think it's a fair question, right? Mary's pregnant, and it's this miracle from the Holy Spirit and then obviously Joseph's going to find out. Either someone's going to tell him or Mary's belly's going to grow and he's going to go, uh, how did that happen? And, and so how did he respond to this miracle? And it just got me thinking about um, twists and curveballs in life. Many of you know the, the name M. Night Shyamalan or Shyamalan or whatever, however you say his last name. But he's kind of heralded as this movie director who's the king of the twist at the end, Right? And, you know, if you've seen Sixth Sense or any of his other movies, and at the end, your mind is often like, what? Um, there's one movie called The Village, uh, and so I'm going to spoil it for you so you don't have to bother watching it, but it's set in, okay, it looks like these, this 1800s village, and there's this community of people that live, and they're all told there's monsters in the forest, so don't ever leave this community. And then, long story short, the, uh, the young lady gets out of the community, and then she comes, and there's like cars driving by, and there's people and with cell phones, and, and it's actually, oh my goodness, the twist is we're actually not living in the 1800s. It's this community that, to, in order to protect everybody, they just lied about all this thing, and you, you don't see it coming. And, and it's just kind of this twist and this curveball at the end. Now, that's just a movie. So now, sorry if I blew the movie for you. You don't have to watch it. Um, but in real life, this happens. So, like, as a pastor, um, I get a, a front row seat to so many great parts of your lives, right? I get to do weddings and I get to be there when you take steps of faith and you grow in your walk with Jesus. I've had the privilege of actually being there when someone uh, surrenders to Jesus. I get to baptize people all the time. Like, just amazing privilege. But then what comes with that is that as your pastor, I get a front row seat to all of the mess and brokenness and sin and just junk in all of our lives. My, myself included. I'm not... I'm not 
saying I'm not a part of that. And, and so oftentimes, you know, I just get this front row seat when tragedy happens or when disaster takes place. Um, just recently, a, a man in our church texted me, this is maybe a month ago, and said, hey, I'd like to have coffee with you. And I'm always like, okay, great. <laughs> what happened? Right? And I love that the follow-up text was, nothing is wrong, nothing happened, I just want to have coffee with you. And I went, perfect, that's my favorite kind of coffee, that's great, right? But that's just part of life, right? We all go through things where it's like, man, I did not see that coming, or, or some tragedy happened, or life threw me this curveball. And I think we're going to see, this is what happened to Joseph, and Mary for that matter, it's like life, God threw them a curveball that I don't think they were necessarily, well, I know they weren't ready for. And so how, did, how does Joseph respond to this life-altering thing that, that took place? And then I think where, we're, where we want to go with this is then what can we learn from Joseph and how he responds for us when, when life throws us those curveballs? So Matthew chapter 1 And I'll start reading in verse 18. So it says this, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. The reading of God's word. So Joseph is a very interesting character in the Bible. Um, And one of the reasons that he's so interesting is that we know hardly anything about him. Uh, literally, there are no recorded words of Joseph's in Scripture, right? We have recorded words of Mary and Zechariah and Elizabeth and Jesus and all, John the Baptist, but Joseph in Scripture never says anything. We don't have any recorded words of his, and we know very little. We know he was a carpenter because they called Jesus the carpenter's son, so, but, but beyond that, we know hardly anything about Mary's husband, uh, Mary, we're told, is betrothed to Jesus, and we, we talked a little bit about that, that betrothal was a little bit different uh, than our, you know, engagement in our day and age. Um, they were legally married, but it says before they came together, meaning before they moved in together, before they slept together, before they consummated their marriage, uh, they were legally married, they were husband and wife, but they waited, it was this betrothal period and, until the the ceremony and the celebration, and then they would be uh, consummating their marriage. But we're told that before that happened, Mary is found to be with child. Now, whatever that means, somehow we're told Joseph found out that Mary is with child. She's pregnant. So I want you to think about 
this from Joseph's point of view, especially men in the room. Like imagine if you uh, were engaged and somehow you found out that your fiance was now pregnant and you know for a fact that you have not had sex with her. You would probably and, you know, rightly come to the conclusion, well, she's had an affair and she slept with someone else. Like we know how biology works, right? And, and so Joseph is not an idiot. He's, he's, he says, okay, Mary's pregnant. It wasn't me. So clearly something happened. Now, verse 19, we get a little bit of a, a, a glimpse into Joseph's character. It says that he was a just man, verse 19, and, and not willing to put Mary to shame. So he decided to divorce her quietly. So the word just, some of your translations might say that Joseph was a righteous man. Uh, because in, the, he, in the, the original languages in Hebrew and Greek, there's one word for both righteousness and justice. It's the same word. So translators decide, are we going to put justice here or righteousness here? But what it doesn't mean is that it, it, it's not saying that Joseph was sinless or perfect, that he like, oh, and he was this great saint or anything like that. When it says that, that Joseph was a just man, what it means is that he was a man who was careful in his observance of the law. Like he cared about what the law said. Um, he was a upright law-abiding citizen, and he, we can assume, if he's a just man and he cares about the law, that he was generally obedient and faithful to God's commandments. And so this is why this is important. The commandment in the Old Testament for a situation just like this, just like Joseph and Mary's situation, the commandment in the law wasn't just divorce, it was actually death for Mary. Uh, Deuteronomy 22, verses 23 through 27, describe this scenario. If there is a betrothed virgin, that's Mary, and a man meets her in the city and lies with her, then you shall bring them both out to the gate of that city, and you shall stone them to death with stones. The young woman, because she did not cry for help, though she was in the city, and the man, because he violated his neighbor's wife, so you shall purge the evil from your midst. So in, according to Old Testament law, Mary, and in Joseph's mind, whoever Mary slept with, they both legally, according to law, could be dragged out and stoned to death. Now, we have to realize under Roman rule, right, Israel is not just its own nation with its own laws anymore. Like, they're under Roman rule. And under Roman rule, the Jewish people weren't really allowed to do capital punishment anymore. And we see, however, a few exceptions in Scripture. Um, when the woman caught in adultery is brought to Jesus, they wanted to stone her in John chapter 8. And the stoning of Stephen in, uh, in the book of Acts, that was uh, not really allowed under Roman rule. But the Jews still, there were cases where they just took matters into their own hands. So it was still, it was still done occasionally. So Joseph knows the law. He is a just and law-abiding man. And so he probably knew Deuteronomy 22. But more than likely, right, in that day and age, they didn't do this to everybody. And in, in the Roman world that they lived in, it was just a divorce that happened. 
And so if a man found out that his wife who was betrothed to him had slept around, then he had every right to just go and legally divorce her. But you have to understand that the way that it was done, it was a very public thing done to shame the woman who had committed adultery. It wasn't just like, okay, we'll just, Joseph and Mary will just go to the court, we'll sign the divorce papers, nobody has to know. No, it was meant to be a humiliating public shaming of those involved. So Joseph, according to how they did things, he had every right to humiliate and shame and ruin Mary's life. But notice what he, he does. He says, I don't want to put Mary to shame, and so I'm going to, he resolved to divorce her quietly. It's like Joseph knew in his mind, well, I can't go through this marriage. My, my, my wife, my legal wife is an adulterer, so I'm going to go and divorce her, but I don't want to be harsh with Mary. So, I mean, you get a little bit of a glimpse of Joseph's character. He is a just and good man. He says, I have every right to publicly shame Mary and ruin her life, but I'm not going to do that. I don't want to be harsh with her. I don't want to make a big scene. I'll just divorce Mary quietly, and then it's like we can just move on with our lives. But that's not what happens, right? Verse 20. As Joseph is considering these things, and that literally, he's pondering, he's reflecting. That word can even mean that he's meditating on it. He's like, okay, is this the right thing to do? As he's considering his his plan, it says that an angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream and tells him, take Mary as your wife. The baby that is conceived is from the Holy Spirit, right? So it's a miracle, Joseph. Uh, also, it's going to be a boy, and Joseph, you need to name him Jesus because he's going to save his people from their sins. And all of this, we're told, is happening to fulfill prophecy. And then Matthew, in verse 23, he quotes Isaiah 7, 14, which tells us that a virgin is going to conceive and bear a son, and you shall name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So really quickly, before we we move on into what Joseph does, it's amazing the, the different names that are given to Jesus in our text. Actually, three different names or titles in our passage. One is Jesus, right? The angel says uh, in verse 21, Joseph, call this baby, name him Jesus. And that's, that's the name uh, Yeshua. And in Hebrew, it's just Joshua. That's the name in Hebrew. Sorry if I'm like bursting your bubble. <laughs> what? Jesus' name is just Joshua in Hebrew? And in Greek, it's Jesus. It's Yeshua. And it means, literally the name means Yahweh is salvation, Or it means the Lord saves. And so he's called Jesus, we're told, because he's going to save his people from their sins. Now, the other name given to Jesus is Christ. And it's not really a name, it's a title, right? In in verse 18, it says, now the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, that's not his last name, right? Nice to meet you, Mr. Christ. It's not his last name. Christ is is a title given to him. And it's the Mashiach, that's the word, uh, the Messiah, right? And it, and it literally means the anointed one, the, the promised Savior. If you go back and you read through the whole Old Testament, there's all of these promises of the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. And so Jesus is given that title. He is the Christ. And then thirdly, the third name is in verse 23, 
They shall call his name Emmanuel. Now, here's what's interesting. Through the Gospels, no one calls Jesus Emmanuel. It's not that they're like, okay, yeah, my name's Jesus, but actually call me Emmanuel. So it's not really a, a name that people called him. What it is, is it's, it's a, again, it's describing who this Jesus is. So I've heard it said this way. Jesus is his human name. Like, if you read history, lots of boys were named Jesus in this time period. Lots of boys. Common name. It would be like, you know, a Mennonite naming their son David, for goodness sakes. Uh, it was a common name, right? Jesus is his human name. Christ is his official title. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the promised Savior. And then Emmanuel just describes who he is. Who is Jesus? Well, he's God with us. God himself with us. Now, it's really important that it's not as if Jesus, he was here and he was God with us, but now he's gone and so God is no longer with us. His title is not, right? Emmanuel doesn't mean God was with us. It's ongoing, right? Look, look at some of these passages. Matthew 28, Jesus says, before he ascends into heaven, he says to his disciples, behold, I'm with you always. Basically, like, guys, I'm Emmanuel always, until the end of the age. I will always be with you, my disciples. First Corinthians 3, Paul says, do you not know that you're God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you, God with us? John 14, Jesus tells his own disciples, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. So when we remember that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, he's still Emmanuel. He is still with us. So that's quite the dream that Joseph has, right? He's pondering, is it mine? I have an idea of what I'm going to do. Here's the plan. I'm going to divorce Mary. We're going to move on with our lives. And then he has quite an earth-shattering dream where he's told, you know, the opposite, it's not a scandal. Mary's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Take her as uh, your wife. Name this child Jesus. This is God with us. And so what does Joseph do? Verse 24, he wakes up and he does as he is commanded. He takes Mary as his wife, which some scholars think that this actually was scandalous in and of itself because the way it's worded is that, G uh, that Joseph immediately took Mary as his wife. So they didn't wait the, the year-long betrothal period, which was just common. And so he just said, nope, Mary, you're my wife. You're coming to live with me now. And then it says that he did not know her until she had given birth to a son, until Jesus. So that means sexually. Joseph and Mary did not consummate their marriage physically until after Jesus was born and why does Matthew include this? It's really important because then there would be no, no question that Joseph is not the biological father. No one could go, okay, but it was really Joseph, right? Because they slept together. No, Joseph, we're told, he doesn't know his wife until after. That also tells us that after Jesus is born, Joseph and Mary had a normal married life, right? The Catholic Church teaches that Mary was a perpetual virgin, but that's just not true. Jesus had brothers and sisters, half-brothers and half-sisters. We're told that all throughout the Gospels, that he had brothers and sisters. I mean, the book of James in our Bibles was written by Jesus' half-brother. 
So Joseph and Mary, after Jesus was born, they uh, presumed and resumed having a normal married life. And then in verse 24, we're told, uh, or uh, verse 25, rather, that Joseph names the baby Jesus. And this also is super important. Why, Why is it important that Joseph names Jesus? Why not Mary? Uh, Because in that culture, the naming of the son was the responsibility of the legal father, and it ensured the official status of the son as a son and an heir. It was actually quite important that the father legally named the son. So we asked, well, why why is Joseph's family line counted as Jesus' family line in Matthew 1? Because Joseph named him. Meaning Joseph is Jesus' legal earthly father, meaning he's from the line of David now because Joseph adopted him, legally named him. So we read things like this, right? We, we, uh, we, we read the, the, uh, the nativity story, and I think sometimes maybe it's because we hear it year after year after year or we see it on television or, or whatever it is, and it just sounds just so like, quaint and cute, and it just sounds like Joseph and Mary are just these perfect saints, and they just glow in the dark, and they float around, and they have halos, and they're like, yes, this doesn't bother me at all that my life now is potentially ruined. Uh, I will do what the Lord commands, right? And we just view them as like other human. But like, listen, Joseph and Mary are just normal human beings. And can you imagine how difficult this was? For Mary and for Joseph. Uh, one writer I, I read, he said this, How many times did Mary review the angel's words as she felt the Son of God kicking against the walls of her uterus? How many times did she go, is this really happening? How many times did Joseph second-guess his own encounter with an angel? Was it just a dream? Did I eat weird food that night? As Joseph endured the hot shame of living among villagers who could plainly see the changing shape of his fiance. The, the, the scholar goes on to say, we actually know nothing of Jesus' grandparents. What, what did they feel? Did they respond like so many parents of unmarried teenagers today with an outburst of moral fury and then a period of sullen silence until at last the bright-eyed newborn arrives to melt the ice and arrange this fragile family truce? Nine months of awkward explanations, all with this lingering scent of scandal. Like, that's what they lived through. They were normal people. This must have been unbelievably hard for Joseph and Mary. Keep in mind, Mary was probably 13, dealing with this life-altering curveball that got thrown to them. And so think about our, our text from Joseph's perspective. He thinks, right, before the angel comes, he thinks Mary has done something awful. He's got a plan to fix it, and then he can just move on with his life. And God comes and says, nope, Joseph, that's not what you're going to do, and completely changes his mind and, and really alters, I think, the course of his life. So for us today then, as far as application, what do you do when life throws you a curveball that you were not expecting, 
Like, what do you do when your, your life is going this way and you've got your plan, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it seems like this tragedy or this disaster or this life-altering thing happens? Like, if you're honest, we've all experienced that. We've all had plans, and your life is going one way, and the plans are great, and then out of nowhere, something happens. It could be financial issues. It could be bankruptcy. Maybe it's you were fired from a job. Maybe it's a death in your family. Maybe it's sickness. Maybe your, your marriage fell apart and now you're going through divorce. Like whatever it is. Maybe it's a, a wayward child that's wandering away and you're just up at night worried about what's happening. It could be loss, frustration, anger, on and on and on. Basically, it's those moments in, of life where it just doesn't seem stable. It's like someone's pulling out the rug from under you and you just, my feet are not on solid ground. What is happening? So how do you then respond in a situation like that? As a follower of Jesus, right, our world responds in all sorts of ways. Well, just turn to alcohol, turn to sex, whatever it is to just numb the pain. But I mean, if we're followers of Jesus, how do we respond when it's like, I did not see that coming, I think Joseph is actually quite a good case study because I think Joseph's, right, the first curveball is thrown. What, Mary's pregnant? And he's got a plan to figure everything out. I'm going to get out of this sinful, awful mess that I'm in. And then the angel tells him, actually, Joseph, you're, you're going to marry Mary. You're going to adopt the son that's growing in her womb. You're going to name him Jesus. And he's actually God with us to save people from their sins. So what does Joseph do? Number one, and this would apply to us too, he trusts God. I know that sounds so cliche, but let me unpack this. Just because it's cliche doesn't mean it's not true. (laughs) Joseph, what does he do? He wakes up from this dream and he does what God commanded him to do. So for you, in your situation, you might not get an angelic visitor. I'm telling you, most likely you won't. (laughs) The whole point of a miracle is that it doesn't often happen. That's the definition of a miracle. It's not likely to happen. So you might be in in the thick of it and go to bed and hope. Maybe an angel will tell me what to do. Odds are that won't happen. But I love that uh, Joseph's reaction when he gets this news is what does he do? He trusts God. And so for you and I, in our trusting God in the midst of pain and the curveballs of life, we go to his word and we remind ourselves who is God? What is his character like? Because I think oftentimes if you're honest and I'm honest, our gut reaction when terrible things happen and when curveballs are thrown at us and we don't expect things, our gut reaction is that we all blame God, don't we? God, why are you letting this happen? This isn't fair. Why are you doing this? That didn't happen to so-and-so. This can't be right. Where is God? That's often our reactions, right? When, when things don't go our way and our life goes off the rails, we often go, well, it's God's fault, But what you have to do in that moment of being in the muck and the mire, you must remind yourself who God is so that you trust him. So you go to his word and you read a passage like Romans 8, 28. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. 
And I know right away we go, really? My situation for good? No, don't do that. Just remind yourself, this is true. Okay, I might not see it now, but I know that for those who love God, he works together all things for good in the end. Or you go to 1 John 1.5 and you remind yourself, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So you go, man, I'm blaming God. It seems like he's dark and he's evil and he's doing that. No, he's not, though. Go to the word. Trust, you can trust God as hard as it might be, right? We trust God. We turn to his word. We remind ourselves, no, this is who God is. This is his character. I can trust him even in the midst. He's not, he's not vindictive. He's not mean. He's not just up in heaven watching going, oh, I love watching him squirm as they suffer. No, of course not, you can trust him, right? Joseph wakes up and he just trusts what the angel tells him to do. Okay, I will do this. Like imagine how hard that was as you live with shame and villagers looking at you and just shaking their heads and whatever else the consequences were. But what did Joseph do? He said, I'm going to trust God that this angel is telling me what to do. So when life throws you a curveball, I want to encourage you, as hard as it might be, you can trust God, you can turn to his word, you can remind yourselves, who is this God that I follow? And when you do that, you'll begin to go, well, of course I can trust him in the midst of this. Look at who he is. So trust God, and then the second thing is that you do the next right thing. Now, I know Frozen 2 sang a song like that, okay, but they don't own it. Notice that Joseph was not informed of all the details. The angel didn't tell him, oh, by the way, okay, that Jesus is going to live a perfect life, and then he's going to go, and he's going to die a substitutionary death on the cross, right? You'll think he's dead. He, he will die. They'll bury him. You'll think he's dead forever, but then three days later, he'll be raised from the dead, and his payment, like, he didn't get any of the details. All he said is, this is God with us. Name him Jesus. He's going to save you from your sins. And so what did Joseph have to do? He just had to take Mary as his wife and name the child Jesus. Do the next thing that God had told him to do. And it's the same for us. Like you, I know, because this is my personality. I want, when, when, I, my, when my life goes off the tracks, I'm like, okay, I can figure this out. I can, I can solve this in like five moves, right? My wife will tell you this is one of the biggest issues in our marriage early on is because she would come with a problem. I'm like, this is like three moves and I can fix this for you, right? And she was like, just shut up and listen. I don't want you to fix my problems. I just want you to listen to me. Oh, wow. But we do this, right? When, when, when life throws you the curveball or you go off the tracks, you're like, okay, what do I got to do? Okay, I can fix this and I can do this. You might not have the end goal in, in your brain, you might not know. Maybe God will just say, hey, what I want you to do is take the next step. That's all I'm going to reveal to you, right? Maybe just the, the little step on your path is the only thing illuminated, and how you're going to get out of this situation is just still in the dark. What do you do? You do the next right thing. You take the next step of obedience. But we tend to, we we tend to manipulate ourselves into inaction or overreaction by saying, it's just all so complicated, I can't figure it out. Listen, the, the situation might be complicated, but, but godliness and following Jesus is usually simpler than we make it out to be. 
And we, it's, it's, there's so many examples, right? Habakkuk is one of my favorite books of the Bible because Habakkuk wants to know what is the next 30 steps that you're doing, God, right? God says, Habakkuk, I'm going to send Babylon to punish Israel. And he goes, what? How can you send a worse nation than us to punish us? This doesn't make any sense, God. And what does God say? He says, Habakkuk, if you knew all the things that I was doing behind the scenes, you wouldn't even believe me. So, like, what's the bottom line? Just trust me, right? There's so many examples where it's like we want to know the secret hidden things that God is doing, and God says, no, just actually just take the next step in following me. You're not going to necessarily know the end game. Um, Even Jesus, right, in the Sermon on the Mount, what does he say? Why are you worried about tomorrow, (laughs) Today is enough problems. Don't stress about tomorrow, but we all do that. We stress about tomorrow and the next week and the next month and the next year. And Jesus says, today has enough problems. Why are you worried about tomorrow? So when, when, when the curveballs come, I think a really good thing to do is trust God and then say, what is the next step that I can take? I might not figure it all out. And there's lots of examples in the Bible of just, hey, when this happens, just respond like this, right? When, when something good happens, we're told, your first step is praise God for it. Ecclesiastes 7, in the days of prosperity, be joyful. So you don't have to necessarily go, okay, now I got to reinvest my money and I got to do this and I got to do this because we're prosperous now, but we might not be in 10 years. And ah! It's like, no, when you are in a day of prosperity, just praise God for it. Just before you panic, that next step is just be joyful, Say, thank you, Lord, for this prosperity. When disaster strikes, we're told, grow in steadfastness. James 1, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Then let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So when disaster strikes, how many of us, the first thing we do is count it joy? I don't do that. But to just go, thank you, Lord, for this trial. Uh, we're told when a friend is happy, be happy with him. When your friend's sad, be sad with him. Romans 12, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. But I'm often like, and this is my job, and I'm really bad at it sometimes. People come and they weep, and I'm like, okay, what can we do to, to fix the problem? Rather than just, what's the next step? Just cry with them. Their life is just in shatters right now. You don't have to fix it. Just cry with them. And we're told when you sin, what's the, what's the next step I take when I sin? Confess. Psalm 32, for when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity, I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So I, I think there's just something so simple about that, isn't, isn't there? That oftentimes our walks with Jesus, especially through when, when it's off the rails, when life is just hard, oftentimes our walk with Jesus is literally just one step after the other. You just do the next right thing. Okay, Jesus, what are you calling me to do today? I want to figure out my marriage problems, and I want to see five years in advance, but Jesus, what are you calling me to today? 
right? The, the finances are out of control and I've lost my job. We might go bankrupt. I have to figure this out. But Jesus, today, what is the next step you want me to take? I think we learned something from, from both Mary and Joseph, how they responded to, if we're honest, this is a hard assignment from God, and I think they show this level of trust and obedience that, that we can actually have as well. Mary and Joseph were not superheroes. They were just normal human beings, and they trusted God like you and I can do. We go to his word. We trust him, and then I think both Joseph and Mary, they just did the next right thing. What are we going to do? Joseph, take Mary as your wife, name Jesus when he's born. Okay, I can do that. I don't know what the next 20 years are going to be as I raise a son that's not actually mine, but I can take Mary as my wife and I can name him Jesus when he's born. That I can do, right? Just take the next step. And I want to just encourage you that we know for a fact that God is with us in the midst of the curveballs. He is. He's in, he's with us in the midst of pain, in the midst of heartache, in the midst of really challenging times. God is with us. Look at the names of Jesus. One of his names is literally Emmanuel, God with us. And so when we go through pain, oftentimes, you know, Christians will say things like, well, well, Jesus knows what you're going through. And that's not just a cute saying. That's literally Jesus knows what you're going through. He was a human being. He went through pain and suffering and, and, and misunderstanding and rejection. And so when, you, when we say God is with you through this trial, we mean it literally. Jesus is walking with you. He's the anointed Savior who came to save you from your sins. God, God gave Joseph and Mary this assignment, but then he didn't just go, okay, good luck. No, he walked with them through it. And with you as well. So be encouraged. You can trust God, even though it can be really hard sometimes. You can. You can trust Him. And why do I know that? Read His Word and look at who He is. Yes, you can trust God. That, that doesn't mean you might, you'll get all the answers to all the problems, but you can trust Him. And then I want to encourage you, you, you might not know the end game, but you can take the next step right? You can do the next thing that God is calling you to do. And some days you're going to feel like your head is down and I can only see the next step on the path. And, and that might be your reality for a while, but you can take the next step as you follow Jesus. So Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for Joseph. What an example. Um, and again, and he's not a saint and he's not this perfect human being. He was a flawed human like all of us. And yet, Thank you for his example in Scripture of this just man who was given a really difficult assignment, and yet he trusted you, and he did what you asked him to do. Same with Mary. And so, God, I know that, again, this time of year, we, it's, it's, you know, for lack of a better term, Christmas is just magical and it's great and it's fun and exciting, but I know that there is a lot of pain that goes along with this month. I know that many people are dealing with very intense family issues. I know that many people have lost loved ones and the memories of that are 
kind of bubbled to the surface during this month. I know many people are struggling, struggling financially and they're not sure how they're going to make ends meet. And just on and on and on. And we often just cover up all of that hardship and brokenness with lights and presents and all of these things. And so God, I thank you that in the midst of uh, curveballs of life that you are with us, Literally, Jesus, one of your names is Emmanuel, God with us. And I thank you, God, that we can trust you in the midst of pain and brokenness and suffering and and whatever else it might be, because we go to your word and we see your character and who you are. Thank you that we can trust you. And thank you, God, that you... You don't just leave us on our own. Oftentimes you give us, what is the next step that I can take to get through this? Now, you might not reveal the whole end game plan. More than than not, you don't. You don't don't tell us the end game plan. But we know what we need to do to take the next right step. And so I pray that we would do that, that we would just daily, step by step, follow you, Jesus, even in the midst of not knowing or uncertainty or pain or whatever it is, God, that just step by step we would follow you. And thank you at Christmas we're remembering that you came, that Jesus, you are God with us, that you didn't leave us in our own brokenness, but you came and you walked through everything that we struggle with. So when we go through the valleys and the dark times, you are with us, Jesus. And so thank you for that. So just do your work in our hearts. Help us to trust you, God. And I just pray all of this in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen.